forgiven. Come on, are you redeemed? If, you, if they are, man, tell them, welcome to the family of God. You may be seated. Isn't it good to have brothers and sisters in the house of God today with you? We never battle alone. We never go through anything in life alone. We have God with us and his church. Thank you for your generosity last week of blessing Pastor Ray. Wasn't he a lot of fun to have with us last week? That man is on fire, like 80 years old, still preaching, man. It was amazing. We gave him a generous offering. I know it's still coming in as well. If you want to do that, he works in the Philippines. Just put Pastor Ray or Philippines on your mission giving. We're going to continue on in the series we're having right now, More in 24. So let's go to our Bible as well as our notes. If you could go ahead and put that up for, for me, brother, as well, please. Thank you. On our app, you have all of these notes as well. I saw some people, you know, taking pictures and everything, and that's cool. But you also have it really. Uh, legit on your phone. You know, you have it on your app. You have it on the website. So as we go to the uh, notes here, I want everyone to think about our name, Metro Praise International. What does that mean? We're going to talk about that today and why it's so important in 2024 to do more for God. So every church has a name, right? How many know church has got some crazy names sometimes? How many think like, like the old school names are a little better than the new school names? Like Mount Zion, Missionary, Baptist. Like that's sometimes better than like Willow Creek. I would rather go to Mount Zion Missionary Baptist than Willow Creek. That's just me. Because like Willow Creek could be like, what is that? It's like, is that an insurance agency? Is that like a conservation group? I like names that have like the Bible in it, you know? And so when we were starting this church, my wife and I, we chose this name that I had used in New Orleans, Metro Praise International. And it comes from a passage in the scripture that we'll go over. But this is a lot of review for you, especially if you weren't here when we talked about it, because this was a sermon series God gave me, and then it was kind of uh, interrupted with Pastor Ray, which that was a Holy Ghost interruption. But as we look at this name, I want you to capture a vision for it. And we go through it every week, so it's important for you to hear it. But at least once a year, I want everybody to get on the same page. And trust me, if you're like, man, this is going to be boring. It's just about a church. I'm going to learn about a church. No, trust me. This is going to be very exciting because the church is God's number one priority on the earth. Can I hear an amen to that? You better get up in God's business if you want him in your business. Bless his house if you want him to bless your house. Okay, so now let me just give you a little bit of history about this, and I really hope that you learn something. If you've known this before, I'll get you your money back, okay, that you paid to get in, half kid here. But I really want you to learn something. Number one, we are Protestants. We are Protestants, and we are not a part of the Roman Catholic Church, nor are we a part of the Orthodox Church. Now, if you've ever heard those names before, that's very important to understand in church history because both of those groups claim to be the original, and they are not the same. The Roman Catholics and the Orthodox are not the same. My wife here, her family comes from Greece. The Greek Orthodox claim to be the first church with the Orthodox movement. They actually say the Roman Catholics broke off from them. And brother, if you could just put it up in the back, please. We'll get Wikipedia going on here. Let's give it up for Andrew in the back doing double duty today. Our other soundman was sick, so he's ready, but I'm going to always give him new stuff on the fly. You know, preaching the same service, a sermon for me is boring. So even if, like right now, where I am kind of like doing them both together, I got to give you some land yet as we say in the South, in the French, Cajun, you know, I got to give you some extra. Somebody say extra. Put up the great schism. I believe it's 1028. We'll get the exact date. I wish I had memorized everything I learned in school, but I'm going to do my best up here. The great schism is where they separated. Now, understand this. They make their claim to being the ancient church. Well, the problem with that is they both can't be right. 
So um, automatically, what you have to understand is when you say, I go to church, this is a church, there is a group of people who will call you in a cult, and they will be Christian like you. The Mormons are a cult because of what they do. Jehovah Witnesses are a cult, uh, 1054 rather. And, and trust me when I say this, the Catholics and the Orthodox will call us a cult. Now, this is where they will agree. We are not a cult in the doctrinal sense like Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses. They don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe Jesus was God in the flesh. They don't believe in some of the major important doctrines that we believe in. Let me just say this because I mentioned them here. Mormons believe in an infinitude of gods in the past. So if you've ever heard anybody say, who created God when you said God created everything? If you've ever been debating with somebody, you're like, man, God created everything. And if they say back to you, who created God? That's a Mormon question. That's not a Christian question. Because Mormons believe that our God has a God, and that God has a God, and God is a physical being. God is made of the same stuff we are. He makes babies, and he brings them to earth, okay? And it's, it sounds crazy, but you have to understand that. They do not believe God is a spirit. God is a physical being with male genitalia, God has wives, has made love to those wives, and those babies is what produces us here on earth, okay? And then if you do your job right, you yourself will become a God. Just put this up so they don't think I'm lying. Put uh, Mormon God has a physical body. Mormon God has physical body. This is their doctrine. I will never say, let me say this as well. I will never say anything about any group that they won't admit themselves. There are conspiratorial things out there. There are things that people kind of make up along the way. But when I teach you stuff here on Sunday, I'm going to give you what they would teach you themselves, okay? This is from Mormons. Mormons do not believe in an ethereal realm. They believe their God is by the star Kolob, okay? Matter of fact, let's forget about that. Let's do this. Um, we're going to go to a Mormon hymn. I'm going to show you guys a Mormon hymn right here. Go to Ode to Kolob. I think it's O-D-E, then K-O-L-O-B, okay? So Ode to Kolob. How many learning something already right now? I didn't want to learn this, but I am learning this. Pastor, just go back to Noah's Ark and how we're going to make it, even though the storms of life are coming. Okay, you all wanted that church? Okay, maybe next time. But right now we're just going through some doctrine because I want to teach you about our church and why we do what we do. But to do that, i got to explain why we are in the, the sea of churches, sea of religion. What's going on in our world today? And it may not be owed to Kolob, but it's going to be something to Kolob, and it's a hymn. So if you guys need some help, let me know because I'll bring the laptop up here as well. And we'll get to this hymn in a minute. But I want everybody to understand this. The Roman Catholics and the Orthodox are wrong to think we're in a cult. So by the Second Vatican Council of the Roman Catholic Church, they changed that doctrine, and now they believe we're accepted. And so now there are a certain group of Roman Catholics who actually debate the Vatican Council and say, we're Catholic, but we don't go with that council. And so ever since that happened, the Pope has not been right. So they are in themselves Protestants of the Catholic Church, but they're still diehard Catholics. So that changed over time. But to this day, the Orthodox, Everybody say the Orthodox. We're talking about the Ukrainian Orthodox over here as I drive around by my wife's house. Did you guys find it or you guys need some help? Okay, perfect. Thank you. So everybody understand this. The Orthodox still believe that if you are not baptized, like my wife, where her family came from, if you are not baptized in a Greek Orthodox church or an Orthodox church, because they have different nations, there's Ukrainian Orthodox and so forth, okay? If you're not baptized in one of their churches, you're not saved. There you go. Now make this big for me. 
big dog in the back. Now, this is one of their hymns, okay? Now, this is blasphemy. How many think this would be crazy if we sang this as a hymn? If you could hide to collab. That's what it was, hide to collab, not owed to collab. If you could hide to collab in the twinkling of an eye and then continue onward with that same speed to fly, do you think that you could ever, through all eternity, find out the generation where God's began to be? Or see the grand beginning where space did not extend or where the last creation where gods and matter end. Methinks the spirit whispers, no man has found pure space nor seen the outer curtains where nothing has a place. They believe that your God has a God that has a God that has a God to where there are no more gods and space doesn't exist. Are you understanding me? Go right up to the top. Just go up to the top of this song right here. This is their song. Now go to the website. Show the website up here. Is that my website? That's their website. Does everybody see that? And does everybody see in their website, they clearly say, you went way too fast, my brother. Watch my hand. Watch my hand, baby. Look at this. Look at this. Look at it. Nice and slow, baby. Nice and slow right there. Look at this. Find out the generation where gods began to be. Okay? So now, that's rightly a call. That's a different doctrine. But the, and then I'll go back to the great schism, please, of the, of the Greek Orthodox. I keep saying Greek Orthodox. I just need to say Orthodox. Where the Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, and the Catholics separate. You see, this is when they separated here. They believe, each one, each one of them believes they're the only ones. And this is called the great schism. And what, this happened, what happened right here is just a, a taste of their schism. They've had many divisions over the years, but this is just like when it finally broke off. And even before this, there was issues. Now put in there the great reformation as well, please. Let's go to the, we'll just say Wikipedia. The great reformation. We broke away from the Roman Catholic Church around the 1500s. How many have ever heard the reformation before? Okay, now why does the Great Reformation have a, have a place in this church? Because we don't accept, what the, just put the Reformation if the Great's not in there. Uh, the reason why we don't accept the Roman Catholic Church is because of what they dealt with way back then. Now, we never had to really deal with the Orthodox, so most of us don't think about the Orthodox. Guys, do this to the side because it's just distracting people. Please, thank you. Guys, everybody look up at me, please. Focus, okay, focus. We are not Orthodox and we are not Catholic. Somebody say Protestant. If someone before you walked in this door asked you to explain that, could you explain it? You need to be able to explain it. Because as I was saying before, those folks, those folks right now think you're in a cult. They think you're like the Mormon. Now, the difference between you and the Mormon is you don't have crazy doctrine like the Mormon. So like the Orthodox and the Catholics, you believe in the Trinity. How many believe in the Trinity? The virgin birth of Jesus. How many believe in that? How many believe in his death, burial, and resurrection? Okay, so in that sense, they're wrong to consider us that. But you have to understand this. The Orthodox still to this day don't believe Roman Catholics are even saved. They don't believe Protestants are saved. They believe they're the only ones being saved. And most of you haven't even met an Orthodox person. So imagine how empty heaven is going to be. Hey, dude, what's going on, 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 way over there, over there, over there. And as the old joke goes, when we get to heaven, we might have to be quiet when we pass them because they think they're the only ones there. Okay, so now everybody understand this, the Reformation. Somebody say the Reformation. Thank you. The Reformation separated us as Protestants from the Roman Catholics. There was none of this in the Orthodox. The Orthodox went and did their own thing, and most people just left them alone. They're, they've been in the nations like Russia. They've been in uh, Greece and places like that. Over here into the West, when you think of, and that's why they're called Eastern Orthodox, and then when you think of the West, you think of these various nations in the, in the French. Put Huguenots there for me, Hugonauts, like astronaut Huguenot, but it's actually, I believe, spelled with 
an OT at the end. There were French reformers. There were German reformers. There were Swiss reformers. Okay, is everybody tracking with me here? In those Western nations, there were reformers during the Reformation that broke away from the Roman Catholic Church. So are you Roman Catholic, yes or no? Are you Orthodox, yes or no? In that sense, Eastern Orthodox. And by the way, Orthodox just means right doctrine. Do you have right doctrine? Yes, you do. But you're, prot- you're Protestant. You're protesting. But what are you protesting? You're protesting primarily the changes of the Western church. Now, wherever that hits with the Eastern church, it's on the same, the same thing. So when we protest, thank you, my brother. When we protested, the, the, and I say we, when, when we as Protestants, because I'm still doing it today. When we go against images, we're not just saying the images of the Roman Catholic church. We're also saying the icons of the Orthodox church. Are you guys tracking with me? Put in icons as a separate tab, please. Icons of the Orthodox church. My wife grew up with this. They're different. They're actually different different than Roman Catholic stuff. How many have seen Eastern Orthodox icons before? They're different. And their church services are different. Most Orthodox services do not have chairs when you come in. Okay? They stand the entire time. Uh, there is no introduction. There is no talking. There's, there's just the ceremony, and the ceremony usually is about two to two and a half hours long. How many know what I'm talking about? Okay? If, if, I'm just looking at my wife. She's the one who knows. Okay? And there, 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 there are icons everywhere, and it's not the same as a Roman Mass. The Roman Mass is a liturgy, is a way of doing something that came much later. And so, once again, the Orthodox believe they are right for this. So, yeah, th- these are their icons. They're icons look like this. How many know this looks kind of familiar here? You see these kinds of things? Yeah, put up the iconography photograph, a photo gallery. And there was a big fight in the church over whether or not these were allowed. But this is what the Orthodox church looks like. They do not look like the Roman Catholic ones. They have a distinctive look to them. How many know what I'm talking about right here? They have like that golden leaf. There's just a difference. And this is what their churches look like over there. They're similar to Roman Catholic, but they're not the same. Now, everybody understand this. Let me just get this to you quickly so you know some history here. Not only do you have... Uh, this Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox versus Roman Catholic, but you have this third group, put this in, churches of the East. And these churches of the East or the churches of the Orient are the Coptics, the Ethiopians, and the church of Assyria. And guess what? They are another group that is ancient but not as popular that they claim to be the original and they excommunicate the others. Everybody go, ah. Did you know that the Ethiopian church predated the Roman church? The Ethiopian African church, and I love this because this man was on a, uh, uh, a college campus, and he was an Anglo person, you know, white guy, you know, just getting in trouble. And uh, so he was preaching, and, and then someone came up and go, it's a white man religion. And then someone from Africa came up. Somebody say Africa. He came up from Africa, and he's like, he's like it's a white preacher and a white woman kind of arguing about how white the religion is. And the African comes and goes, you don't know what you're talking about. He's actually telling you the truth. It was in Africa and accepted here before it was ever in Europe. Because remember, for 300 years, the Romans were putting them in gladiator arenas. Y'all tracking with me? We were dying under the hands of the white man, if you want to think of it like that. But the Ethiopian eunuch, how many have heard that name before in the Bible? And then the Coptics, the Egyptians. You got to remember, Egypt was a place that the Christians went all the time. That was, that was a place that Paul went, that, that others had been by. And you see, this was a part of their world. And so you got these churches of the East. You see them all right here. You see this right here? These churches right here make up, if you just go up a little bit for me, my brother. There you go. Now you can see all their names and all, see the Orient into Orthodox churches and all of this, you know, Syriac Christianity, they're a part of that mix too. So if you want to be technical, there's three 
churches that all fight for who's the first one. They excommunicate each other. Roman Catholic Church, Orthodox Church, and Churches of the East. Now, if you go to that desktop, I got the website up, Disciples of the First Disciples, blogspot.com, okay? And I'm going to show you now the timeline. Everybody say, show it to me, Pastor. I want to show you in the West, thank you, sir, chapter 12. Are we there? Perfect, yeah. Yeah, go and scroll down. This is chapter 12 of this book. I haven't released yet. I just kept it online. It's not totally complete yet. It was something I was working on. So it's here for your, your viewing. But I want you to understand, if the stuff that they do now didn't come from the Bible, it had to come from somewhere, right? So do we see monks and nuns in the Bible, yes or no? Can you show me one? If I said right now, I'll give you $100 if you can show me a monk in the Bible, could you show me one? No, so it had to come from somewhere, right? So here you go. Around 575, they started making monks and nuns. Okay, it wasn't in the Bible. How many have ever heard about a pope? You've heard of a pope before? And to the pope, we say what? Nope. But have you seen a pope in the Bible? No, but it had to come from somewhere. Pope Gregory was one of the first people to claim that title. Now, go and scroll down. Let me show you some of their doctrines, okay? Let me show you where their doctrines came from. How many have ever seen Paul and, and any of the early Christians lighting candles? Anybody see them doing it? No, but guess what? Candles came around the 300s. You see them doing it now. Does everybody see what I'm talking about? So there was a time when we didn't do this stuff, and then there was a time that now they do it. And so when they talk to us and they say, oh, you're a part of a cult. You're part of the Reformation. When did your church start? Mine goes back to Ethiopia, if you're talking to an Ethiopian. Or mine goes back to the Egypt, the Coptics, you know, because that's where Mark, he went there and preached the gospel. Or, uh, you know, my, my church goes back to Rome, Peter, the first pope and all this. Or mine goes to the Eastern Orthodox and to those of the East. You need to say back to them, no, you're going back to a time of paganism. You can't go back to the scriptures because there was a time when Christians didn't do what you are doing. So what are we doing now? We're going back to the book. Somebody say the B-I-B-L-E. So that's why we are protesting. So now I understand this. Everybody say ecumenical. ecumenical. Say it like you're going to help me preach today. Somebody say ecumenical. Thank you. Now, when we think of ecumenicalism, most people think of what you have seen the Pope, the pope doing, hanging out with a Hindu priest, and then, you know, some uh, Native American rain dance, and they're all getting together ca uh, calling on the spirit of the sky. That's not what I talk about when we talk about ecumenicalism. What I'm talking about is John chapter 17, may they be one, Jesus talking, as we are one. Somebody say unity. The thing about Protestants that makes us unique and makes us who we are is that we can actually see the unity of the Spirit in all of those churches. Do we believe that there can be Christians in the Orthodox? Absolutely. Do we believe there can be Christians in the churches of the East? Absolutely. Do we believe Roman Catholics can be Christians? Yes or no? Come on, people. We may not agree with all this, but do we believe they can be Christians? And then how about all the different Protestant denominations? Do we believe the Baptists can be Christian, the Methodists? So guess what? We actually are. We're the true Christian. We're the true one that has the identity of Christ and sees Christ in all of these various traditions. Where they get stuck in their excommunicative cult, this is cultic behavior, and kicking everybody out. Quickly go with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 20. I'm building a point, but I hope that you're learning something along the way. How many are learning something? Amen. Now, let me show you the word heresy. How many have ever heard the word heresy before? Now, if I teach you to start lighting candles, praying to saints, how many know that's a heresy? It's a false doctrine. But can I tell you what the most dangerous false doctrine is? The dividing of the body of Christ. 
What's worse than us just saying dumb stuff or made up stuff is us counting Christians not to be Christians. Go to that word faction, please. Right click on it. See the Greek word heresis. The Greek word heresy comes from heresis, which actually means faction or division. Does everybody see it up here? And it actually means to be a sect or to be someone who brings division. Now hold that spot there. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Somebody say, make it plain. Amen. Because I'm going to show you that the same stuff we deal with now is the stuff they dealt with then. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, uh, with one another what you say, and that there be no what? divisions among you and that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Now tell me if this sounds like what they're going through right now. One says, I follow who? I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another one, I follow Cephas or Cephas, that's Peter. Still another one, I follow what? Christ. There you go. See, they were divided right there. Is Christ divided? Was, no, was Paul crucified for you? No, were y'all baptized in the name of Paul? Come on, y'all. See, now look at this right here. They want us to divide over their popes. They want us to divide and treat them like the way they treated us. See, they excommunicated us. They excommunicate each other. But what do we say? Wherever Christ is named with the doctrine of Christ, there is, there is the body of Christ. Do you see how we're different? So they're going to say to you, you're the cult. And no, we're really going to say back to them, no, you're the faction. You're the heretical one because I'm not cutting you out of the body of Christ. Put up um, uh, Martin Luther King's 99 uh, objections. Now think about this. When Martin Luther King, who, who Junior was named after, we just had his day that we were celebrating, when he put up his 99 objections against the Roman Catholic Church, he wasn't trying to say, y'all are not Christians anymore. He was a priest in the Roman Catholic Church. How many know he was a Christian? Come on, somebody. I said, how many know Martin Luther believed he was a Christian? Okay, when he put up his 99 objections against the church, what he wanted to do was reform it. He wanted to bring them back to the day where they weren't doing all this crazy stuff. But they didn't want to do that. And then they had another council. And in the council of Trent, they then anathemized everybody who agreed with him. Are you all listening to me? And they had it that way until the Vatican II Council. So in other words, in the mind of the Catholic, this entire time, the Christian who disagrees with them has been anathemized. Now, as I told you before, in Vatican II, they changed that, and now there's a division again among the Catholics. Some don't think it should have ever changed. They still think we're in a cult. And some of these traditional Catholics only go to Catholic Mass. Now, notice this right here. When he put these up, I said 99, it's 95, thank you. It was in 1517. The major issue that he had was of the indulgences. So much money was coming into the Catholic Church through this practice of indulgence. And to this day, they still have indulgences. How many know you can pay money for forgiveness in Roman Catholic Church to get a letter from the Pope or pay money to receive certain kinds of forgivenesses? Indulgences still exist even right now. If you didn't know it, it's still there right now. And so he's writing against them going, man, we can't have these doctrines. Do you ever see purgatory in the Bible? No, so you can't be teaching purgatory in the Bible, uh, teaching purgatory to people. And you know what they would say? Is that when a gold um, uh, a coin in the coffer clings, a soul from purgatory springs. They were slick with their lies. Are you listening? So put your gold in the coffer. Let's hear it cling. And when we hear it cling, a soul from purgatory will spring. 
Now, how many know if you were brought up in the Middle Ages and all you knew was a church that was in power and that had authority over everybody, and they said your loved one was in purgatory, but if you gave some money, they would get out. How many know you're going to be deceived or more than likely you're going to be brought into that lie to get them out? Well, that's what he's writing against. So when they say to us, these kind of people like, oh, man, we're the true church. We believe in this and that, and the popes have always had a life. No, we go back to say that none of that matters. Here's the point. Did you all get off track? Did you all start teaching things you weren't supposed to teach? Now let's go to Revelation chapter 3. Somebody say make it plain. Thank you. In the time of 90 AD, churches had already gone off track. So how are you going to tell me 1,500 years, y'all ain't got off track with these lies? Look at Revelation chapter 3. Jesus talking to the church of Laodicea. He writes to them in verse 14. He says, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. I know that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about ready to do what? Spit you out my mouth. You make God puke. Think about that. Now, if churches had got that far off within, what, nine, that's 90 A.D., Christ ascended to heaven around 30 A.D., you're talking within 60 years the church is off like that. What do you think the church is going to be off like in 1,500 years if they don't put it in check? Okay, now go back to our slide. Somebody say, this is just the introduction. This is just the introduction, folks, because I want you to understand why you're in an independent, non-denominational church. What does that mean? Does that mean I'm against the Baptists or the Assemblies of God or Church of God in Christ? No, I'm not against any of them. But what we're just saying is we don't want to go down that same road that other people have gone down. So we're going to stay non-denominational. That means no outside controlling party over us. We're going to be independent. And what we mean by that is that the leaders of Metro Praise International come from the church of Metro Praise International. Now, this is up to you whether or not that's important. To, to many, we're just going to go past this and move on to the next thing. You're not going to think about it again. But for others of you, you're going to want to study this. And the reason why is because Jesus said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And you're going to look in history and you're going to see times and places where the, it seems like the church does get prevailed against. And there's going to be problems and divisions and racism and, and conquering and all of these different things. And you're going to be like me, a person who studies it. And I'm just letting you know Jesus always had it people all along the way. You see, when the church was getting off in the West, they had people, God had people like Martin Luther. When churches were getting off in the East, God had his people that you can study and read about them. God has always had his people. Look at the time of Jesus. These Jewish people and their divisions, Sadducees and Pharisees and the Zealots and all of these different people were there. But Jesus had his people that were already there waiting for him to come and were ready to serve him and obey. God has always kept a remnant. And I just want to let you know today, it's not important if you understand all the details of the history, but some people need to defended. But for everybody here, we need to know this. We're a remnant of the church of Jesus Christ. If you want to go into the depth, that's where I would go. And let me just show you one more thing unique about American history, because we do have in American history the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the furthering of church and state. So go with me. Uh, I was going to say go with me to Wikipedia chapter one. Uh, put it up there for me. Roger Williams, please. When you think about the founding of this nation, what do we normally hear now from the woke media? They were all racist, right? They didn't care about the Native American. They didn't care about the African American. They were all slave owners. But then you got to ask them this. you got to ask them this. Well, then how do we get into a civil war then? If there was nobody that cared about African Americans, then why did 300,000 people die? Are you all listening to me? How does it get to that point? If there was nobody here doing what was right, how did it get to the point? And then the Underground Railroad. How many heard of Moses Harriet Tubman? Moses Harriet Tubman, right? Well, where were they going when they got free? Were they just living on their own? Come on, somebody. There had to be people that were loving on them, taking care of them, that didn't agree with it. Can I hear an amen? 
Now, I want you to see this and also put up Oberlin College. Put up Oberlin College. We just had Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and black history is very important to me. I've started preaching in the South, pastored mostly in all African-American congregation, cut my teeth in the South. That's why it's tight, but it's right. Can I hear an amen? My pastors were African-American. And so I'm going to break some African-American history on you. Put it up there, Oberlin College as well, please. The first thing that I want to say is imagine if somebody said about Chicago, all those pastors are like this. All those churches are just hypocrites. All them people like this. Wouldn't you say, well, not everybody. You better come to 5405 if you think every pastor is about money. My pastor would be wearing sketchers that are about two or three years old. Can I hear an amen to these sketchers? You don't see no J's up on Jordans here, two and $300 every week. Preachers and sneakers, if you've ever heard that Instagram. Oh, but every church is full of hypocrites. Oh, no, you better come to 5405. They find out they kick you out because they don't want the hypocrites there. Can I hear an amen to them? I'm not saying you can't sin. There's a difference between a hypocrite and somebody who's dealing with their mistakes. A hypocrite pretends in their sin to be somebody they're not. Don't do that here. Find another church to go and do that. We want the real here. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now go to Roger Williams. Look at this white dude right here. See if he was doing something good. In 1683, he died, but he was alive at 1603. And what was he about right here? He was about bringing separation of church and state and fair dealings with Native Americans. You see, way back then, when people were doing the Native Americans wrong, trying to bring the church in power here, he was standing up against it. How many have ever heard of Salem, Massachusetts? Go down slowly with me. How many have heard of Salem, Massachusetts? You ever heard about the witch trials in Salem? Guess what? This guy was a part of Salem, but they kicked him out. Go down just a little bit more. Look at this right here. They had to kick him out of Salem, Massachusetts because he wasn't playing with them. Look right here. In August 1634, Williams began acting pastor of the Salem church. Everybody go, mm, that's interesting. So I thought everybody in Salem wanted to burn witches. Remember, they burned a pastor there too. Luckily, he got out before that. So here's these religious kooks and nuts, and they're in Salem, and he's pastoring them, right? Because this person had died, okay? Now, in 1635, he was ordered to appear before this court, and you can read about this, right? Why? Because he had erroneous and dangerous opinions. The court finally ordered that he be removed from his what? His church position. Now, just go down here just a little bit more, and notice this right here. The court refused to consider the request that the church of Salem remove Williams. The church felt like this order violated their independence, and so they get upset, and they fight back and forth. And so the bottom line is, go right here, the court determined Williams in October 1635 was convicted of sedition and heresy. Who was the real heretic? Those, those people there? Or was it Roger Williams? It was the others, wasn't it? And then eventually everything went down from this. And when the Native Americans were dealing with these folks, they said, I want to deal with Roger Williams. Y'all are crazy. Now go to Oberlin University. The first African-American, one of the first colleges to graduate any woman, by the way. This is the oldest co-educational school and one of the oldest for African-Americans. And notice this right here. 1835, Oberlin became one of the first colleges in the United States to admit African Americans and in 1837 to admit women. Some may say, that's my church. See, this is a Christian church doing Christian work. Don't let people talk bad about the past unless they understand it. Are you listening to me? When was the Civil War, y'all? Before or after 1835? It was after. Some of y'all are looking at me crazy. I just turned into history teacher on you guys. I got to go back to Noah's Ark. I keep talking about Noah's Ark. How many know Noah's Ark is cool, though? 
Oh, man, I lost y'all. But just come on. I'm losing them. Go down a little bit. This is just for me, the nerd in me. Go right here. Founding. Stop right here. Stop right here. Look at this right here. Well, no, you know what? I want to talk about Charles Finney in a minute. But go up again to the top of the school. I'm going to go up to the, to the uh, beginning of it. Uh, right here. Uh, no, no, go down just a little bit more. Right here, the history. There we go. Oberlin College, founded in 1833. The college founders voted, vo- uh, wrote voluminously and were featured prominently in the press, especially the what? Especially the what? Abolitionist newspaper, The Liberator, in which the name Oberlin occurred 352 times by 1865. When did you guys find out the Civil War was? 1861. So by the time of the Civil War, this place had been named 365 times talking about freeing the slaves. Now go down to Charles Finney. Do you know who Charles Finney was? He was one of the greatest revivalists of his time. Notice this right here. Its immediate background was the wave of Christian revivals. So where did the idea of having African Americans come into into college from? Where did that come from? A wave of what? Christian revivals. Having women in college, where did that come from? A wave of Christian revivals in western New York State in which Charles Finney was involved. Oberlin was the offspring of the revivals of 1830, 1831, and 1832. And then when was the Civil War in 18 what? About 30 years later, it popped off into a war. Where are you at? God's people make changes. Don't tell me the church is a joke. Church has been here. Church has been putting in work. Church has been changing culture. Churches have been building nations, and they haven't always liked it. They messed with Roger Williams. They messed with the folks over here. That's why they had to end up going to war. Now, have we always been righteous? I'm not covering up anything. Any conquistador, any slave owner goes to hell. I'm not telling you that's Christian at all. I'm just telling you there were Christians all along the way doing what Christians do best, changing the world, changing the world. Are you all listening to me? And brothers and sisters, it's our turn to change the world. That's why I'm saying this to you now. See, the privilege that you and I have is that we're independent. That means right now there is no, there is no uh, joining together of church and state. The separation of church and state was a Christian idea. Put up Dan Barry Baptist's letter to Thomas Jefferson. Do you want to know why Thomas Jefferson even said we're going to make sure this, the church will be separate from the state. That's where it comes from. Dansbury letter to the Baptists is because the Baptists were part of the group that they were persecuting all the time. The Church of England was persecuting the Baptists. Are you listening to me? And when the Baptists came to America, they didn't want to be under the Church of England. Hence the Revolutionary War. Anybody hear about that? The Revolutionary War was led by the Black Robe Regiment. Who do you think the Black Robe Regiment was? Oh, we got, we got to put two things. What's the first thing I got you looking up right now? Yeah, put up the Dansbury Baptist letter to Thomas Jefferson, and then the second thing, Black Robe Regiment. I'm going to teach you who the Black Anybody ever hear of the Black Robe Regiment? So they had cool names back then, too. Man, I'm in the Black Robe Regiment. Man, what you in? Man, I'm in that Black Robe Regiment. I'm down to get down. What do I tell you who these people are? I would have been in the Black Robe Regiment. You're going to love this, but let me just help you with this, everybody, brother and sister here. The church has always wanted to be separate from the state. The biblical church, I'm not talking about the heretical church. I'm not talking about the church changing stuff. I'm talking about these guys right here who wrote your Bible and the people who have lived it out have never wanted to try to control the state. What they have always wanted to do is transform the the state from the inside out. Can I hear an amen to that? 
It's not that we don't want our Christian beliefs in government. We just don't want that to be how it's going to be governed because the, mo- uh, the, the moment we say it's my belief, my Christian belief, now someone else is going to go, what if I disagree with you? And you're going to be burning them at the stake. So the way Christians lead in government is not by making the government Christian. It's by being Christians in the government. Can somebody say there's a difference? Come on, don't look at me like you're so tired you can't understand. There is a difference. I'm going to say it like this. If, if I'm a haircutter, I'm a barber, do, do I need everybody that comes into my barbershop to be a Christian? No, but can I as a Christian be a good barber? That's how we are in government. Do I need my government to be Christian in documents? But can I be a Christian in the government and be a good leader? That's how they always wanted it. Now, uh, you got the, the Black Robe Regiment. You're doing awesome. Let's give it up for Rudy in the back, man. He's keeping up. Okay, now put up that Dansbury Baptist letter. The Dansbury Baptist letter, wherever you hit that one at. Yeah, you got that. There we go. Je- yeah, there you go. Jefferson's letter to the Danbury Baptist. Yeah, letter of Congress. Go ahead and click on it for me, please. When you read this letter right here and you see with, uh, there we go. And let's just make sure the committee right here. Yep, and let's just make sure he said he's at the end here. Let me make sure he's at, yep, that's him right there. Now, notice this right here. Believing with you. Somebody say believing with you. See, Thomas Jefferson wasn't a Christian. He acted like one, but he wasn't. But notice this. Believing with you, not all the time, but I'm saying that in his worldview, he thought like a Christian. Okay? Believing with you that religion is a matter which solely lies between man and his God. Is Thomas Jefferson slapping his hand and saying, you naughty Christians, get out of the government? Or is he agreeing with the Christian that the Christian doesn't want the government controlled by the church? He's agreeing with the man of God. Somebody say he's agreeing with them. Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions. I contemplate with sovereign reverence that the act of the whole American people which declared that their legislative should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Remember, that's why they said that as the First Amendment. No law respecting an establishment of religion prohibiting the free exercise thereof, uh, thus building a wall. See, that statement in agreement with the preacher, somebody say in agreement with the preacher, builds the wall of separation between what? So whose idea was it to have separation of church and state, an atheist or a Christian? It was a Christian idea. The Christian understanding what they had already gone through when their churches had gone backwards into paganism and started controlling everything, they understood we need religious freedom. And that was one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons many came to this country and when they started messing it up, repeating the same problems of the Church of England here in Salem and in other places, you got people like Roger Williams raising up going, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't doing that. And then what do they do? They kick him out. Hello, somebody. And then you got people saying, no, we ain't treating people like that. I'm going to start a college. We're going to have them come, women and African men, whatever. We're going to do it for everybody. And then the South we ain't down with that, and then we go to war. Christians changing the world. Somebody said that was the introduction. Now let's go back to the notes, please. I'm excited. I'm going to go back to the Bible for you all. Enough of that history stuff, right? But how many learned something, though? How many learned something that you can bring up in your college class with your friends on the job? 
This is what we need to understand. Now, Metro Praise International, where does that come from? Go to the Jeremiah passage, please. Jeremiah chapter 33. I have it in the notes, but you can also turn in your Bible. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 9. Then this city will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it, and there will be an awe, and they will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. That means people are going to look at how blessed we are and go, I get goosebumps. I tremble when I look at you. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, tremble. <laughs> Tremble in the sight of prosperity. Okay. What is this talking about? This is talking about God bringing his heavenly Jerusalem once and for all to the earth. You've heard that in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Well, that's the answer of that. That's after the battle of Armageddon, okay? This is end time stuff here. It's going to be fulfilled. But what happens now until then? We are the temple of God. We are the city of God, as Paul said, and that the Spirit of God dwells in us. So you are God's dwelling place, and where you are, you should be praising God in the sight of all the nations, being a testimony. Amen? You and I should be showing the world what it's like to serve Jesus. Do we have to have a pope to do that? Nope. Do we have to be a part of the religious traditions of the East? Nope. Do we need to have somebody dress up like mother and call them father? Nope. Do we need to have bells and smells? Do we need to have pictures of, of, of old white Jesus up there? No. All we need is the word of God. Hallelujah. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God endures forever. Jesus said, build your life on this rock, which are my words. And when the storms of life come, you will stand. Come on, somebody say stand. We stand on the word of God. That's what Metro Praise is. Metro Praise is the church you're a part of has a long history going through this nation and the different places where the gospel has reached all the way back to the beginning of Christ founding his church. And here you are today, because let me ask you something. If I sent you home today, and I gave you homework, and I said, read the book of Acts, all 28 chapters, from chapter 1 of Pentecost to Paul being arrested in Rome in Acts chapter 28, and I said, tell me what that looks like in 2024, where would you point? I hope you would point right here and say, man, that's what it's like right here. We have leaders in the house, elders and deacons. They preaching and teaching God's word. We have the gifts of the Spirit, as you heard between the songs, and we have the time of fellowship. Just go there quickly with me, Acts chapter 2. How many want to see it in the Bible? Come on, I'll just give you the summary of what the whole book of Acts is like. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and onward, and tell me when I read this, if you think of the churches of the East, if you think of the Eastern Orthodox, if you think of the Roman Catholic, or if you think of what you're doing here today, I'm just being honest with you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. You don't even see that anymore in their churches. All you see them talk about is a water stain under a bridge or a burnt piece of toast looking like one of their saints. Are you listening to me? But you got real signs and wonders here. How many have seen real signs and wonders in this church? Come on. And all the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property, possessions, gave to anyone who had need. That's why we had a generous offering yesterday for our missionary. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Somebody said they were praising God. Metro praise, we praise in his name. Come on. Come on. Metro praise, we praise in his name. Come on. Come on. All right. Yeah, they were praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Anybody dressing up as a pope here? Anybody having to feed you communion here? 
any building having to look like a cathedral here? No, they were in homes, right? And then when they outgrew homes, they had meeting places. That's it. That's what this is. Now, would it be cool to have uh, artwork? And I'm thankful for Christian art. Yeah, that's awesome. From Ethiopia, I'm telling you, wherever Christianity reached, it's been, it's been making beautiful art. You can study all those cultures and see beautiful art, whether it's in Egypt, whether it's in Ethiopia, in the West, in the East. It doesn't matter. But does it say that their art was what they were praying towards? Does it say they were lighting candles? No, they were doing the things that God called them to do. They were with each other. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, please. Who were the ones in charge? Show me the word cardinal and I'll be one. Or however cardinal sounds. You know what I'm saying? That was a chicken, but you know what I mean? I'll be your cardinal. You know, whatever a cardinal does. You want a cardinal? I'll be your cardinal. You know, you want the, but this is what the Bible says. Whoever wants to be an overseer or an elder or a bishop, these are those words that are interchangeable, desires a noble task. Go on down just a few more verses. The same thing also applies to the deacons in verse 8. The same with the deacons are to be worthy of respect. Notice this right here, elders, deacons. Bishops are elders. We call them now pastors, and that's okay. But the fivefold ministry of apostle, prophet, pastor, uh, uh, evangelist, and teacher, let me go through like this. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, rather. That's Ephesians 4. All of that is a fist knocking out the devil. Those are the gifts of the church, but the two offices are elder and deacon. Somehow the pastors took over and got everybody calling them pastor. Forget about the teachers. Forget about the evangelists. We in charge now, y'all. Locked out everybody. And then, you know, pastors are saying, there are no such thing as prophets anymore or apostles. Funny how that works in your favor, you know. Wouldn't that be something if apostles walk around and go, there's not pastors anymore, you know. So, you know, you look at the church, it's not really that hard to understand. What's going on? Elders and deacons shepherding God's people. First Peter chapter 5, verse 1, quickly. Peter, he's an apostle, right? He's one of the founders of the church. Apostle means sent one. What are these men sent to do to establish the church? He says to the elders among you, this is First Peter, Peter's talking. To the elders among you, I appeal as a what? Fellow elder. So even though he's an apostle, how does he see himself governmentally in the church? As an elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will share in the glories to be revealed. Now notice this is why pastors have now been taken over as the, the title of elder, because he says, be shepherds of God's flock. And right-click on that Greek word, pomone, there. The word shepherd just simply means pastor. And so what do elders do? They shepherd. And so what happened was everybody just said, well, since elders shepherd, we'll just call all the elders pastors. So honestly, it wasn't a big issue there. But then somehow the deacons deked around and got in charge. How many have ever heard of that before? We got a lot of demons. I mean, deacons in the church, and they're deacon around. Well, somehow the deacons got in charge of everything, but really what a deacon means is a servant, a waiter. Dekanos in the Greek, it means a servant. When you go to the restaurant and you meet the waiter, that's the dekanos, that's the deacon, that's the servant. You don't go, you're the owner, you're the one in charge. You're just the one helping the ones in charge. That would be the elders. Then once again, when you read the Bible, are deacons a joke? No, man, deacons are the ones going out bringing revival. Deacons are powerful in the ministry. But somehow in the church, they're the ones voted in, and now they vote in the pastor. It's just so weird, a deacon board, you know. And, and what we have to do is just go back to the Bible and understand what the church was meant to be be like. What the church was meant to be like was Christians organizing themselves, everybody get this, by elders and deacons, and then from those elders and deacons doing the works of the ministry. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now let's go to our vision statement, please. Here's what we have to do for this year. We got to get our vision for the church and for your life. And so the same way, go up a little bit, please. The same way I teach you for the church, get it for your life, because that's how we do it as Christians. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. He that keepeth the law, happy is he. So now let's apply this to the church. When the Roman Catholics lost the vision of this, was it happy times? 
No, man, it was miserable. The dark ages. Are you listening? It went crazy. People were, man, you ever heard of the inquisitions? They were torturing people. I, I'm just being honest with you. Some of it's gross and disgusting. I'm not even going to go through it here. But it was the priests doing that. When we went to medieval times with my family, when we went there, they had a place of the torture chambers. And guess what? Most of that was done by the church. They were the ones sticking things where they shouldn't have been sticking things and cutting off things that shouldn't have been. I'm just telling you, man, it got gross and nasty. And that was called the Inquisition. So were, they happy, were the people happy under that rulership? No, because there was no more vision. There was no more word of God. Now it was traditions of men. So what do we need to do here? So, I mean, obviously we're not going to turn, uh, turn this into an Inquisition if you don't like Metro praise. Be like, man, I don't like Metro praise. Hold up. Come see me real quick. Come see me real quick. Hey, Pastor Bruno, lock that door, man. Put up, just put them up. Put up torture devices of the Inquisition. Just put it, just, just imagine this in the back room of the church. Now you really a cult. Yeah, put up Inquisition torture devices. Oh, y'all, y'all don't like, you don't like our church? Oh, just come back here. Come see me real quick. You got those prongs heated up? You got those prongs heated up, Pastor Bruno? Let's go. I'm serious. Anybody ever see the movie Braveheart and they're cutting out his intestines? I and mean, that's, that, that's based on a fictional story, right? But the idea of that was true. And then they had, yeah, the rack, the Judas cradle, man, the torture. And they had these things, man. They had them out there, and they were crazy. The, the heretics, for they were sticking things in people's orifices, man. Uh, the thumb screw. We, we don't have to go through all this. But that was developed by the church. Christians were doing, supposed Christians were doing that. Now, do you think you can do that and then see Jesus on uh, Judgment Day and him say, well done, my good and faithful servant? I mean, I think we're pretty sure you're going to hell. You know what I'm saying? Seriously, man, and when I was telling you about the Salem witchcraft trials, they're burning one pastor, and he's reciting the Lord's Prayer. Come on, man. You burning somebody that's saying the Lord's Prayer? How full of the devil do you have to be? But see, that's what religion will do to you. Remember who crucified Jesus. It wasn't the pagans' idea. It was the Jewish people's idea. And so we got to be careful. Religion will have you do a bunch of crazy stuff in the name of God. They're not shouting God's dead when they fly, buildings, uh, fly planes into buildings. They're shouting Allah Akbar. The, uh, Islam got their issues too. Can I hear an amen? So number one, we need a vision. Well, what's the vision for the church? Jesus told us that he would build a church and the gates of hell would not prevail and that the church would be built upon him as the cornerstone. And so, therefore, we need to have a vision of Jesus, Jesus all up in our children's lives, Jesus in the nation. Man, we don't need Cardi B. We need Jesus Christ. Amen. We need a vision for what our children should be. We don't need Oprah. We need Peter, Paul, and James. Can I hear an amen? We need Mary Magdalene, not Oprah and Ellen DeGeneres or DeGeneres. You all listening to me? So what's your vision for your school? Let me just ask you this real quick. Since we were talking about the slave uh, tr trading and all of that, imagine these people believing that that wasn't the way it was supposed to be. And they're living in the midst of that, right? Both the person who's being oppressed, imagine that. You're, a, you're more of a Christian as a slave than your slave owner who's beating you in the name of God. Imagine that. They had to even make a slave Bible to take away the songs of freedom and the stories of freedom out the Bible because they saw the slaves getting saved. How many know if you came from a pagan religion from Africa, you hear about the Bible, you're getting saved. That's where the black church came from. And even the slave owners beating him, telling him that he don't want him to be free. But this man, like I said, Mo, and the people like this, Moses Tubman, are preaching this, singing these songs, teaching them one to another. How many know God's going to honor that and there's going to be revival? Right? So even think about this. Through evil, God brings about good. So what did, what did those people have that the others didn't? Because slave owners had the Bible, but what did Harriet Tubman have? She had a vision of who the real Jesus was.
So you could be, look, think about it. You could be a religious Jew, have the Bible right in front of you and be crucifying Jesus. Or you could be like the disciples who called him Lord. Do you get my point here? You have to have a vision. What are we doing here? I believe we are changing the world here. What needs to be changed? Let's go through some of the big ones. Abortion, homosexuality, the racism, corruption in our government, right? All of these things are still around today. How are we going to deal with them? We're going to get a vision of what God said about it. What did God say about abortion? That the child is a blessing, that we should bless those children and adopt them. Amen? What did God say about sexuality? He created the male and female to be fruitful and multiply. What did he say about racism? There's one race, the human race. We've all come from Adam and Eve. We've fallen into sin through the first Adam, through the second Adam. We're born again. How many want Jesus, the blood of Jesus, to cleanse every race and nationality? How about corruption? The Bible says that the wealthy who are corrupt now will be in hell, and their wealth will be like tumors and fire in their soul, and it will be burning them and torturing them. But the Bible says those who give, it is given back to them, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Jesus said those who keep their eye on the poor, he keeps his eye on them. In the book of Proverbs, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Anybody got a vision? How about this? Do all things unto the Lord. Whether we're singing, dancing, making music, we do it unto Jesus. Get a vision of it. How many know Cardi B could be amazing if she sang unto Jesus? How many know these leaders that we have in government could be, uh, be amazing if they saw a vision of Jesus? So that's what we need. How about you? Whatever you do in life, do you have a vision of Jesus? Husbands, wives, children, workers, community leaders have a vision of Jesus. Number two, what does he say? He says, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come, it will not tarry. How many know people like Roger Williams died before the Civil War but still believe that America could be better? He died about 200 years before it happened. What if right now we got to see another 200 years of gangs before God starts saving the young people, right? Are you going to be faithful in this time? I'm going to be faithful. What if we have to wait 200 years before the homosexual lifestyle is looked at what it is as a mental illness, as something that we need to help and pray for instead of support and parade? Back in the day, they used to put RuPaul's on Jerry Springer, and we would laugh at it. Now RuPaul's got his own show, and people are like, oh, that's just amazing. That's not amazing. That's an illness. You weren't made to be like that. We're, we're, we're now celebrating what God used to condemn, and we think that's the way out, and it's not the way out. That's why they have a higher rate of suicide. That's why our kids are more depressed than they've ever been. That's why you see weed dispensaries on every corner that now replacing the church. Can I, say, can I say that loud enough for everybody? How many see the weed dispensaries going up everywhere? They make fun of you going to church, man. They need weed. Let me tell you something. We both high, but I'm high on Jesus. Give that a try, baby. Yeah, this right here. That's that good, good stuff right here. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, let's go. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, high on the most high, give it a try. High on the most high, give it a try. I'm just making this song up. Because when I was a kid, they used to sing, I want to get high. That was Cypress Hill. So high. And I'm like, yeah, baby, I want to get high. <laughs> So I'm getting high off Jesus. See, everybody needs something to cope. They say, oh, we don't need uh, pastors anymore. Yeah, but you need counselors at $100 an hour. Now, I know some pastors haven't been good, but I would rather be with a godly pastor than a counselor that's just as messed up as you. Look up the suicide rate and depression rate among counselors and psychiatrists. It's just as high, if not higher, than the general public. Why? Because they messed up here in your messed up life the whole time. How many know if you don't have Jesus, it's going to be hard to help other people who are messed up? 
You need Jesus to get involved in people's life. People are spiritual beings, and the devil will attach himself to anybody he can. These people here, and I'm not saying there's an there's a inherent issue with them. That's a, a, a godly endeavor to want to help people. I'm not against psychiatrists or psychologists. That's, an, that's a godly endeavor to want to help. God gives us the wisdom is what I mean by that. But imagine trying to do that without God. Man, that's going to mess up your soul. That's why they're so depressed. Just look it up. It's the honest truth. So we need to write down our vision and then give it to other people so they can read it and run. What do you want to see happen in this church this year? I'm naming off the stuff while I'm preaching, but is anybody else going to join with me? Because then we got to take our stands. And the Bible says, stand until. And sometimes people are like, how long do I stand? Until the enemy is defeated. That's how long you stand. So every single one of us, we just need to make, make an agreement with the devil right here. Say, hey, man, I'm going to make an agreement with you right here. Here it is. I'm going to whoop your butt, and you're going to get whooped. You ready? Let's go. Because I'm more than a conqueror in Jesus' name. Is everybody understanding that? He's got a big old butt, and I'm going to kick it in Jesus' name. You're not my enemy. The church down the road is not my enemy. Even other flesh and blood uh, politics or other religions, Mormons and morons, are not my enemy. The enemy is of the spiritual realm who's influencing these people, and the Bible says we cast those arguments down in the name of Jesus. So there's two things we can guarantee in this world. Number one, we will be in a fight, and number two, we will win in Jesus' name. You just got to make that up in your mind. Well, what if abortion doesn't stop? I'm going to stay here until it does in Jesus' name. And if I die, I multiply 10 more taking my place after I get done here. Are you listening? And we're not the first ones to believe God can change the world. For other people, like I said, it was slavery. For other people, it was equality. For other people, it was a Christian uh, people not being under a, a Christian, you know, quote-unquote nation. They had to fight for what they believed in. Now it's time for us to do it, not with the sword of the world, but the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Amen? And then Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. God never told a farmer to look at a field and cry over it, sing to it, go and make believe with it. He said to a farmer, God said this, if you want to see a harvest, you got to put in seed time. God will honor even pagans when they put in seed time. That's why a lot of people in the world, they're more successful than Christians. If you want to understand why Elon Musk is running things, it's because he's applying this principle. How many know he's got plans and he's diligent about it? That's why he's leading the electric car industry. That's why he's leading the race to space and putting people on Mars. That's why he's leading in these different creative ways. It's because he's diligent. Now, Christian, let's go show them what we can do with our diligence. Amen? They, go back to that scripture, please, in Jeremiah. The Bible says that the nation should look at us and tremble. Man, we're looking at them like, oh, man, you're so awesome, Elon Musk. If I could just bite off a little bit from you. No, man, Elon Musk needs to come around me and be like, I can't wait to get around Pastor Joe. Are you all listening? Because he's going to know that he may have a billion, but he don't have peace. I don't have a billion, but I got peace. What you think is more valuable? You got baby mamas. I got a wife for almost 20 years. You got children all over the place living wild lives. I got them in order in Jesus' name. My mind's right. My soul's right. And I know the maker of the universe. Come around me and be in awe and let's work on this together. Like Joseph, we're not going to hate on him. Like Joseph in the pit, in the Potiphar's house, and in the palace, in prison, we're going to be prosperous in Jesus' name. We're not there to put them down. We're there to build them up. Now, if they want to go to hell with the devil, that's up to them, but at least we can say we tried. How many know everywhere Joseph went, he was blessed? And that's the way we're going to be. Notice, I didn't say this. God said this. And the earth will hear of all the good things I do for it, and they will be in what? Come on, say it like you mean it. 
and awe. And guess where the word awesome comes from? Awesome. I want some of that awe, man. Come on, I want some of that awe. You want some of that awe? Get you some awesome. And we'll tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I give it. Oh, well, Joe, look at you. You're in a storefront. You don't even have a whole lot. The devil is a liar. So you're judging me by the outside. God is blessing me on the inside, and it will bust to this outside. But right now, look what I have by God's grace. I have a vision. You're reading it, and I believe you're going to put it to practice. It's going to bless your life. Has this vision blessed you? Has your life been blessed? Some of you came to this church, tore up from the floor up. You didn't come here all sanctified and pretty. Some of you didn't come here wearing a church dress. Come on, somebody. Some of you came here smelling like weed. Some of you came here you were drunk last night. I'm being honest. Some of you were selling your body, and you saw us on the street, and that's why you came here is because we got you in here without having to buy you. Come on, can I hear an amen? You don't even know we got people in the church like that, but we do. We've got people that used to be in gangs. We were scared of you on the, on the world sense, but now you're scared of hell. That's why you come to listen to a preacher preach. Because now you realize, oh, snap, my homie's probably in hell right now. I better get right with God. There isn't a gangster's paradise. There's only a gangster's hell. Get right or get left. Come on, somebody. I know you're not deaf. You're pouring it out, but it ain't helping him. He's already there. He wishes you could take it from your tongue and dip it on his lips. He would let you do him like that if you could, as the Bible says, they in hell, they're so hot. That's why you need Jesus. That's why I need Jesus. Why do you think I'm here as an 18-year-old kid, high school dropout, incarcerated eight times, tore up from the floor up, needing to check up from the neck up? Man, I got saved because I had a vision of Jesus. Somebody wrote it down, told me about it, and said God had a plan for my life. Why am I still married? Why do I still have children? Why am I not like these others? Because God gave me a vision for a family. God gave me a vision of who I could be. Sometimes do I mess it up? Absolutely. Sometimes do I do the wrong thing? Absolutely. But I'm learning how to repent, follow Jesus, and never give up. How many are with me on that journey? So please go to the summary of this. This is for the church, and this is for our lives. Number one, get a vision. Go on up, please. Number one, get a vision. Number two, record that vision. And number three, make your diligent plans. So I'm teaching you about the church, but how many are going to do this in life right now? Come on, man, I'm telling you this for free. Grant Cardone, anybody heard of him? He'll charge you $1,000 to hear this. I'm telling you this right now for free. Write down your vision for your sales team if you're in sales. What do we want to see this year? T-Mobile don't love you if you're Verizon. How many know what I'm talking about? If you Verizon, they don't love you. And, and I asked at the first service, how many of y'all got businesses that have visions? And only about three people raised their hands. And I said, get ready to get taken over by those who raise their hands. Because if Verizon doesn't have a vision, they're going to lose. There's a reason why today Best Buy is open and Radio Shack is not. There's a reason why Kmart is closed and Walmart's still here. Which one are you in? You better find a job that has a vision. Are you employed by Walmart, Kmart right now? How many know there were some people at Kmart that just always thought they were going to have a job because it's Kmart? And then one day they got handed a slip, goodbye. Well, when am I supposed to? I got to go work for Walmart now. Yeah, there's a reason for that. Somebody won, somebody lost. That's the world, y'all. The Bible says we're not all winners. Some people are going to lose. But in Christ, we're all conquerors. Which one are you going to be now out in this world? I'm not playing make-believe. If we're winners, let's go out there and act like winners. What's our vision for our family? What's our vision for our kids? What's our vision for our community? Write it down. Put it in writing and then give it to others and say, this is what our, our, our plan is. This is what we're going to do. And that's why I said the world does this and it works. The world does this. They build companies. And then we come to Sunday school and hear about Noah's Ark again. I'm done with that. I, I love Noah's Ark, but I want to go out there and change the world. Can I hear an amen? 
One more time, brothers and sisters, we cannot sit back in 2024 and expect to have something we've never had if we keep doing what we've always done. 2024, to be more, you've got to do what you've never done before. Amen? Well, I want more in 2024. Okay, what you going to do then? I'm just going to pray. Okay, well, after you pray, what you going to do? Well, i got to get up and get a job interview. I've been praying for some of you getting your jobs this year. And I'm praying that they'll see something unique in you. How about this? Come early, stay late. How about this? Know your company. Understand their values. How about this? Treat your employees or people you work with with respect. How about this? Work hard as unto the Lord. Do that for a little while and see what happens. Can I hear an amen? How about this in marriage? Because I'm praying for about four or five marriages right now. I'm praying for marriages to be, to be restored. How about this? Love your husband. Uh, husband, love your wife as Christ does the church. Christ, uh, wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. Get along with each other. Don't hold grudges against each other. Write down a vision for where you can be this next year. Do family devotions together. Amen? Amen. How many are ready for the message now? Amen. That just was a long introduction. Sorry about that. Let's go to the 10-point message that I have. I have a 10-point message for you. Are you all ready for this? i gotta, I got to take a breath. I only got through five of the last one. Just let me know when you need a soft piano to come up here and make it easy for you, okay? Lawrence is ready. Number one, we got to be willing to love God and people. I'll summarize some of these. I know I don't want to take all your time quick. But this is what we got to do. Because if we don't have God right and people right, then it's not going to be a good thing for us. How many know Hitler had a vision, but he didn't love God and people? So you can have a vision to conquer the world. And that's why I said in the first service, I'm going to say it again because I'm Polish. Polish people got their butts whooped by somebody who understood a, a vision for a military. Polish people could come out. I want everybody to get this. Is this what the world is like? They don't care about you. Like the one meme says, nobody is coming. This is you and God. Get it done in Jesus' name. When the Polish people and my people, Verostics, when the Polish people came out, they got ran over by tanks because a man had a vision about military while the others wanted to just be farmers. The Bible says the violent take it by force. You are in a battle and you better get serious about it. Are you listening? The devil does not take prisoners. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. So who do I want driving a tank today? Somebody who loves God and people. Who do I want driving a police office a car? Woo! I want that guy who gets out of that car to love Jesus and love people. The other one, woo! The one who comes and checks on you in the ambulance, I want that one to love God and people. The one that's an alderman here, I want them to love God. Come on, somebody. And what? Love people. The one teaching our kids, I want them to love God and people. The one running all these businesses, put their names on buildings, I want them to what? love God and love people. Because if you love somebody like you love yourself, you won't do them wrong. You won't steal from them. You won't hurt them. I remember when I was living next to a gangster and he kept stealing stuff from me. You know, how would he have liked it if I did that to him? He kicked down my door and stole my stuff. This is before I knew who it was. So when I come home, my, my, my stuff is stolen. My door is kicked in. And I go over to my friend. And I'm like, yo, dude, somebody kicked in my door and stole my stuff. And he's like, oh, man, that's not cool. And he walked into my house. And he started looking around with me. And I go, yeah, you know what? Good thing they didn't come in here because this is where I keep all my valuable stuff. Next day I leave the crib. Door kicked down, same exact place. All that stuff is gone. I knock on my neighbor's door. His mom answers, and I'm like, your son is stealing my stuff. 
And she's like, no, he's not. No, you know, I'm like, yes, he is. I'm not calling the police. Just give me back my stuff. And she goes, how can you prove it? I said, let me in his room, and I'll show you he's got my stuff, because I knew he wasn't that intelligent. I walk into the room, and then there's all my stuff. How do you know that's your stuff? I said, let me hold it up for you. I held it up. I got my stuff dry clean, and there were pin marks where the people would put in my name. And I said, there'll be a pin mark about like this right on the corner of that, and that's my stuff. And she gave it to me. Somebody say, God have mercy. I mean, it's a simple thing. You want me to do that to you? You want me to kick down your door next week? You see, that's not how we live as human beings if we want the world to be a better place. And it doesn't just work with my neighbor like that. It works like that with politicians. You want us to, uh, to not have good schools? Why do you send your kids to these schools over here? How about we send your kids to the schools right over here? Are you all listening to me? Oh, you want to live in these neighborhoods and then tax these people. Why don't you come live in this neighborhood? You see, you'll change your ideas real quick. If you love people, let me just get more even personal. If you love people, you won't cheat on people. All marriages that end because of cheating, you would never do that because you don't want somebody to cheat on you. Sometimes these men tell me, they're like, oh, I find these younger women attractive. Yeah, but you're old and ugly. Somebody has to love you. <laughs> Let's be honest. You're old, fat, and ugly. I'm telling you, man, I got guys my age wanting to date 20-year-olds. Well, and this is what they tell me. Well, I'm, I'm attracted to them. I'm not attracted to whatever. And I know that makes sense, you know, because like in the natural, when they have Miss America, a 90-year-old ain't winning it. You know what I'm saying? But here's the thing as I say to them. But you want someone to love you at 50 years old, and you can't love them at 50 years old. What are you going to do with her when she's no longer 20? See, they're hypocrites, and they don't really love themselves because here's what the Bible says. If you loved yourself, you would love others as yourself. So really, people who are treating others like that don't really love themselves. They are selfish, but they don't know how to love the skin they're in and love themselves. Because if a man loved himself, he would love his wife as himself. If a man loved himself, he would love his kids as himself. Amen. Be committed. Somebody say committed. Got to be committed to Jesus and the kingdom on earth. We've talked about that a lot. But Jesus said in Matthew 6, that if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. I love what one preacher said. If I put him first, I'm next. Come on, somebody. If I put him first, who's next? Who's second? Who's the next one in God's mind that he's taking care of? He's taking care of the ones that love him. I know favor ain't fair, and some of you all get mad when Christians get blessed, but we were meant to be blessed because we serve the best. We are not meant to have the worldly troubles that everybody else has. The Bible says he gives wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. That's why I love seeing Christian wealthy people. They're givers. They're tithers. They're holding their families together, and they're still blessed. You look at the world. They get a little bit of money. They lose their mind. They lose their wife, and they lose their kids. Google it right here for me, brother. The trouble of wealthy children, children from wealthy parents. I was just reading a whole article. Please put it up. It's a whole thing they're discovering right now. How many know what I'm talking about? You already know this. Why do you think they have so much problems, these, these children from wealthy parents? It's because they don't understand the value of the money, and money itself cannot satisfy so when you look to that success and you don't know what it took and you take it for granted, you're going to become a pleasure seeker. You're going to become addicted to the things of this world. Look at this right here, the challenges of growing up rich. How many would be like, I'd like to have those challenges. I had the challenge of growing up poor. I had the challenge of growing up getting, you know, uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day. These guys eating, you know, like, uh, you know, gourmet meals and all this, have personal chefs in their homes. But look at this right here. This is psychology today. How many think they're pretty smart? 
This is not just this like conspiracy stuff. Look what they say about them. While they may have access to every opportunity and mental a material possession, children of the very rich also face particularly set of struggles. The challenges faced by the children of the rich can have a significant impact on their mental health, relationships, and sense of identity. Parents should be mindful of this. Why do you think that is? It's because the Bible says the love of the world, the lust of the, you know, it's all that's in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life will go away, but the love of the Father remains forever. So imagine like all of us, what are we working hard for? So we can go on vacation, so we can have a nice car. They're, they're brought up with the car. So where do they go now to find their happiness? You see, that, you see how empty that gets? So you're thinking, like, come on, let's be honest. You're thinking to yourself, if I just get a little bit more of this, if I just had a bigger house, if I just had more vacation time, I would be happy. And they're brought up in that. So now where do they go for happiness? That's why they go into their addictions and to their relationships and their dysfunctionality. It's because they can't find the inner satisfaction. Going back to our notes, please, quickly. Seeking first God's kingdom is not because he's poor or because he's, he's like, needing of us, like he's on American Idol. Please vote for me. The reason why we put God's kingdom first is because we need it. Come on, somebody. Somebody say, I need God's kingdom. Because if you ain't working for God's kingdom, what are you working for? And I've even had men say this to me. I work for my family. I work for my kids. Yeah, and you ain't ever had a fight with your family or your kids? That's the, that's the number one reason why these hardworking dads are at the bar every night because they don't want to be around the wife and kids they provided for. Can, God, can I get an amen for somebody keeping it real here? I live around dudes like this. Man, I live around dudes like this. I'm telling you right now, and I, I can just picture them in my mind. They're the same type of person that says, I'm a self-made man. They're really a self-made mess, but they work for their family, work for their kids. Man, when I'm in the gym, they're looking at girls. I was, I, I'm telling you, there was this one girl, she had on her booty shorts and all that, and I was like, get behind me, Satan, limping along. You know what I'm saying? Come on, brother. You, you real. You real. Are you real? You with me? Okay, so my wife knows what I'm talking about. You know, we're in the gym, booty short girl just going for it right here. She don't mean no trouble, but you know, the devil's going to use that for temptation. So I'm just walking by, and then here's just this, you know, white, middle class, middle aged dude, exactly like my age, beelining right to her butt, looking at it the entire time. How many know that's real? But if I asked him right now, what's the purpose? Well, I work hard for my family. I work hard for all this. Yeah, but you're a pervert. You don't honor your wife. You don't honor your kids because you wouldn't want nobody looking at your daughter that way. You have no self-control. That's why you still get drunk at your office parties. Brothers and sisters, if you don't have God's kingdom first, then what is your first? Because whatever that idol is, it will let you down. Oh, I'm doing it for notoriety. Notoriety will let you down. How many know right now these superstars, they can't even read their Instagrams anymore? I mean, there's a whole other show about that. They read off these Instagrams where they make fun of them, and they say, I can't even read them anymore because if you live by people's praises, you're going to die by their critiques. And I do feel sorry for them sometimes because the amount of attention that they get. I was watching these young people. They were musically talented. They were good. You know, I was listening with my wife in the bed, and then I go through the comments. People making fun of the way the girls dress, making fun of the way the guys. And I'm like thinking to myself, none of y'all can do any of this. And even people are saying that to them, but they still don't care. Why? Because if people don't have it, they'll tear you down. So even if you think to yourself, I'm going to do it for notoriety, I'm going to do it for my fans. Your fans will tear you down when they get the chance. You can't do it for others. Even my wife and my kids, I can't do it for them, number one. They're not my number one. My number one is God. And then if I put God first, I'm next, and he takes care of everything else. Amen? Number three, somebody say be faithful. If you say all of this and don't do it, it means nothing. How many women have heard some guys proclaim their faithfulness but never came through? So how many are done with that? You're like Missouri, the show me state. Show me, dude, right? Come on, ladies. Can I hear an amen? 
And ladies, you better have them show their faithfulness before you, you get into a deep relationship with them. If they can't be faithful to church, they're not going to be faithful to you. If they can't be faithful to read their Bible, how are they going to be able to read your heart? If they can't meet the needs of the ministry, how are they going to meet the needs of the family? Come on, every broke, busted, disgusted dude I know right now in a marriage was broke, busted, disgusted with Jesus in the ministry. Hello? It gets quiet when I preach like this in a Presbyterian church. Y'all became Presbyterians all of a sudden. No, I don't want that. I want an amen. Somebody say amen. Come on, I don't want the golf clap either. It's tight, but it's right. Amen? Walls, they got my back. Listen. Listen, it's true, man. I, I look at every struggling marriage and where the dude has failed, and I look back into his life. Six months before he got married, struggling with his devotions, struggling with his ties, struggling with showing up to church, struggling with following his pastors and his leaders. And then the woman goes, that's the one I want. How's that working out for you? Let's get the men of God back leading the houses by leading in the kingdom of God. Amen? As one woman says, I, my husband or, or boyfriend should be so lost in the things of God, that's where he finds me because I'm lost in the things of God. Amen? Faithful to your family, faithful to church, faithful to your calling. I've had people say, well, I don't know if I feel called to this or called to that. Man, you don't have a choice if you're called. Hello, somebody. Like, really, man, if my wife calls me and says, hey, can you pick this up for me? I mean, I guess I don't have to, but what do you think it's going to be like when I get home? You get what I'm saying? Like she calls me up, pick up some toilet paper, and I'm like, no. What do you think it's going to be like when I get home? You think her and I are going to have a great relationship? So, yeah, in that one sense, we have a choice. God gives us free will. But in the sense of, like, you're going to make a choice based on your feelings for your calling, let me just tell you something. That ain't happening. Do you think I want to be called to minus 10 degree weather to plant a church in a place called Chicago, the frozen chosen baby? I feel Malibu calling my name. I feel Miami, Maine. But God, I'm so serious. I tried to run away like Jonah when I was first here, man, because I had been born and raised in the Midwest, and I got set free, and I lived in New Orleans, baby, for almost eight years. And so when I came back here, I'm like, this is crazy. Sun going down at 4 o'clock at night. It's minus 30 degrees. It's snowing in March. What are we doing here? Okay? So then when I got done pastoring, I was like, I'm out of here. You can ask my wife. I said, we're moving to California. And God said, no, you're not. Now, I had a choice, right? I had a choice in that sense. But in one sense, I really didn't have a choice because he didn't give me a vote. It's either you go where I tell you to go or I'm not going with you. How many are going to follow God wherever he calls you? Amen. Some people are like, well, he hasn't called me to do all that yet. You ain't picking up the phone. Stop lying. He's calling everybody else to be dedicated, but he ain't calling you to be dedicated. You got your face in Facebook too much. Put your face in his book and answer that call, man. Oh, he didn't call me to do evangelism because you ain't picking up the phone. Pick up the phone in prayer for five minutes, I dare you. And he'll say something like, go preach, you know. Oh, I don't, I'm, I'm telling you, I've had people tell me, I haven't heard him tell me stop looking at pornography. You have not listened to him. You are listening to the God of me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. Your God looks like you in the mirror. That's who you talking to. You talking to yourself. How many know this is what the atheist says about us? We talk to ourselves when we pray. But how many know Christians go, uh, I ain't saying that to me. I, I heard God tell me to be single for almost five years. That was not me talking to myself. <laughs> Listen, atheist, you crazy if you think that's what I said to myself. I, you think I told myself not to date for that many years? How many have heard some stuff from God you know wasn't yourself? 
Man, let me just tell you this right here as we get to the next one. Somebody say generous. Last week, I did not want to be generous when pastor came from the missionary, uh, from the Philippines. Lawrence, would you come, please? I already knew. This is what I knew was going to happen. He was going to tell a sad story, and I was going to feel sorry for him to have to give money. I'm just being honest with you. I am not telling you I am an example in this. I messed up, y'all. Listen, I did mess up in my heart. Somebody say, God forgave him. But I was like a little squirrel with my nuts in my little tree. And I said, I have worked hard for these nuts. And I know that this man from the Philippines, he's going to come and he's going to tell me a sad story, Brother Joselito. And I'm going to have to take some of those nuts out of my little tree and give it to him. How many know what I'm talking about? So I made up my mind before I got the church. I said, this is all that I'm giving, Jesus. This is it. I, I, I knew better than to pray because, you know, I always tell people when you hear a missionary talk, you got to pray, seek the Lord. No, I wasn't doing that. I said, I looked at my nuts. I said, this is all that is, uh, is all mine here. This is what I need. And I just said, well, I'm going to be able to spare this. How many know God has a sense of humor? When I was sitting in first service, God basically almost tripled it and told me, you better give that. Hello. How many know that wasn't me talking to myself, a atheist? I was talking to myself to give all that money. No, dude, I was literally arguing with God to the point that when God said it, it was like hot potato. I went back to my office, did it so quick on the computer, shut my laptop, and I was like, I can't think about that right now. My wife's laughing because she knows I'm telling the truth. But you know what God told me? Those aren't your nuts. Those are mine. That's not your money. That's my money. You're the one holding on to it. Unless you want me to take it all away, give it like I teach you. And you know what I could hear? Snap! I could hear the idol in my heart break of selfishness. And I know if that happened to me as a pastor, that's happening to many people in this church. Because when it comes to being generous for God, we always look at our account, what we can afford. I can't afford to tithe. We can, man, come on, let's be honest. We can't afford not to tithe. If God said he would bless that 90%, you better learn how to have it blessed by 90% than cursed by 100%. And I went back the day and I was driving home and I felt in my heart that I was looking at that number and that number represented what I wanted to make this year. And I go, oh, I get what you're doing, God. You're telling me to sow a seed on behalf of a need that I have this year. And you're testing me in my heart to see if I'll put you first. I can't explain what God does in Bill Gates and all these other rich people's lives, but I can tell you how rich people were blessed in the Bible. They had to be willing to give up everything. And when they gave it, it was given back to them, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. But here's the thing. We don't only give up our money. We also give up our time. And I remember talking to Lawrence just this past week about going back out to the high schools where we love to preach, and that's extra time out of my schedule. But I was telling them, I was saying, you know what, I'm missing those high schools right now. Why? Because when God told me to go out and preach in front of the high schools, I feel more like Jesus than I do preaching in front of you. Jesus said he would leave the 99 to go to the one. When I meet somebody on the streets and they hear it for the first time, that hits me differently than even in a church service. I love this church service. Don't get me wrong. This is amazing. But I'm saying when I'm on the streets and you've been there with me, my brother, and then we meet somebody that's never really heard the gospel or didn't understand. I mean, you'd be shocked about how many people don't understand what we just went through. And then you see them get touched. You see them weep. You see them get their hearts broken. You see them call out to Jesus. There is nothing like that. 
but I got to give my time to that. I got to get up earlier. I got to get my things done so I can go out there and do that. And when I go out there and do that, you know what I face along the way? I face the sacrifice of being persecuted, number five, because people will make fun of me. People will persecute us when we spread God's word. When we're going after the one, it's not always just like we go find that sweet little one. How many know we got to deal with some dirty goats while we look for that sheep? Come on, don't, don't get quiet on me now. Man, there's some dirty goats out there. Man, when I'm reaching that one, you know, what's a goat do? No, that's a sheep. What does a goat do? Give me a goat noise. Bay. When that goat does that, I'm like, leave me alone, man, cussing me out and everything. I'm looking for the sheep. Goat comes biting on me. Put a picture of a goat up there, no nasty thing. How many know we still love them, though? But they mess with you. How many know when you try to help others, people will mess with you? Have you ever tried to help somebody and they mess with you? I remember one time when I was working in the projects, nine different projects, we had a camp that we could go to in Mississippi. Hardly any of the kids showed up. You want to know what kids are afraid of in the hood? They're afraid to go camping. Let me tell you that right now. I couldn't pay Tuan to go camping with me. Little, little Nene and Boo Boo, they did not want to come camping. I'm being 100%. Pooh Bear, my, my guy on Plumyrus, his name was Pooh Bear. He was, he was a tough dude, but they called him Pooh Bear. I had to go to Pooh Bear's house, went right to his house, and I said, listen, I've got this whole camp set up. I need you guys to come because otherwise we got all the food. No one is coming. I'm telling you, the day of the camp, I went to their house. It's kind of had like four people. Are you listening to me? He gets in. They come with me. The mom finally allows us to take them, you know, because she thinks we're going to kidnap them, sex traffic them. And I'm like, if anything's going to happen, they're going to do us wrong. If that's anything, they're going to steal the van, leave us out in the middle of nowhere. If anything's going wrong here, I'm just signing this right now to make sure my life is secure. So anyways, I'm telling you, Pooh Bear and the rest of the Plumyra gang, get into our vehicle, right? We talked them into it. Somebody said we talked them into it. We talked them into it. We are at the camp. The four or five that I have, Joe from the Calio, Mina being a Fofino, she's chilling. Everybody's chilling. Somebody say they're chilling. But these guys over here, they are not. They are doing the opposite of chilling. They're fighting and wrestling with each other. If anybody remembers Glenn, Glenn tries to stop him. Glenn gets stabbed with the pencil. That's a funny story. Then we try to go to bed. They won't go to bed. And then now they say, take us home. We never wanted to come. You made us go here. Take us home. So I send Glenn to go take him home. I stay at the camp. I'm just being honest with you, man. But then that day, Jeffrey, put up on Facebook, thou shalt prosper Jeffrey, please. Somebody, how, how many have met Jeffrey before? Some of you know Jeffrey. Nancy, obviously, he's, met, she, he's come over to the house. Thou shalt prosper Jeffrey. If this man, if this is a guy who believes in prosperity, if there's anybody who believes in prosperity, it's Jeffrey. So I go to the camp, and guess what? You know, we wake up next morning. There's only like four or five of us. But Jeffrey's out there, and he knew a lot of those guys. And I say, you know what, man? You're faithful, bro. I want to let you know you're a leader because I want to wash your feet. I went down on my hands and knees and washed Jeffrey's feet. Jeffrey says from that day forward, he saw God in a different way. He wasn't going to be a goat anymore, bucking against the things of God. He became a sheep. Can I hear an amen to that? And when he got saved, he started going to his high school preaching the gospel, seeing his family get saved, seeing the neighborhood get saved. Even he started getting persecuted. And then to this day, and that's why we're going to find the picture, right, Nancy? Can you help him in the back? 
this man's life has been changed. But what did it take? Somebody say, carry the cross. I had to carry the cross. Glenn had to get stabbed in the leg with a pencil. But Jeffrey got saved. So this is what I'm telling you. You're going to make sacrifices out there. Some of you in business, you're going to have to fire a lot of people. Some of you are going to have to leave your 401K or whatever you got at that company. Others of you, you're going to have to go back to school, and it's not going to be easy. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. Are you all listening to me? Going to that camp that day was not easy. I had to accept the fact that those kids did not want it, but Jeffrey did. That's my man right there. Somebody give it up for Jeffrey. J.J. Simmons, thou shalt prosper. If I told you I was his spiritual father, you would look at me crazy and go, well, I want to see the spiritual mama. But it don't work like that biologically, does it? It's spiritual. He says, the day I went down and I washed his feet, he said, man, I caught a glimpse of what Jesus did for us. At some point, people need to see you're willing to pay a price for what you believe in. You can't just say, I want to see Chicago changed and not put in work. Go to the Chicago for Jesus Facebook page since we're there, please. How many are appreciative of the evangelism we do in the church? We're going to close. Thank you for your patience. But I want to encourage you get involved in that this year. If you want to see God do more in 2024, start doing things you've never done before and be, be uh, you know, involved in evangelism. Go out there and change people's lives for the glory of God. My wife and I have been cursed at, spit at, lied about. People still get give us bad reviews on Google, but how many know it's worth it for those who are here today? What is it going to be like for you to restore your marriage? What is it going to be like for you to see your community saved? What is it going to be like for you to be an example at your school? It's going to cost you something. It will not be free. There will be sacrifice. Click on some of these pictures here for me, please. Right there below, click on some of these. How many know it's going to cost something? to reach this community. Go back and show me Shamal right there. You know, Shamal came and saw me the other day. How many still have a heart for Shamal right here? How many know where Shamal came from, how we met Shamal? On the west side. That's what it takes. I look at the beautiful people we've reached, some with us, some not with us. Going to the next picture, please. But you keep going. Look at TJ wheeling this dude across the street. Dude was probably like, who are you? Just hold on, dude. I'm taking a picture. Get me on this picture right here. Did you even know him, and did you have permission? You to talk to him, to saw some dude wheeling himself. You're like, look, bro, I got you. Can we get that picture? Get me right here. But no, and this is it for real, man. That's what's up. That's what Christians do. Let's go to the next one, please, my brother. This young lady, how many remember she came to the church? She was here for a while until she got offended. We still love you, sis. We're not mad. But how many know we're going to keep reaching them? I, I can't even tell you all her story because some of you know who she is and they think I'm talking about her. Go to the next one, please. I don't know who those people are, but they're getting blessed. Keep going. Is this you guys going to the juvenile jail? Kingdom therapy, feeding the homeless, taking care of the needs. By God's grace this year, we're going to have a kingdom therapy truck that's going to be able to bring out medical supplies and food to the community. Come on, somebody. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's what Christians do. You ever see Muslims doing that? You ever see the Buddhists doing that? Come on, you got Bosque all around you. You never see him. Going back to that, please. You guys cool, but I want to go, just go back to that. Thank you. I'm trying to slip that in. Yeah. Go back there. Pause right there. That's what Christians do. Do you know when I was talking about church history, that's what we've always done? In the Roman Empire, this was unheard of unless governors and leaders wanted to buy votes. 
it was unheard of to go feed the poor. In places like India, Christians went as missionaries and their people killed the missionaries so they wouldn't reach the poor. Think about how crazy that is. They kill our missionaries who are there to help the poor. Don't touch our poor. They're our poor. Leave them alone. There were Christians. Put, put this one up for me. The Mulvarian Church. May the lamb that was slain. Just put that in. Mulvarian Church. There were two missionaries who saw during the time of the slave trade how they kept taking them to these islands and to the Caribbean. And they talked to the slave owners on the boats and they said, let us preach to them. And they said, we have no place for that. Two missionaries sold themselves as slaves to those people and said, now will you take us? And they said, well, I guess so. Two missionaries put themselves on slave boats to preach to them as they went to the Caribbean islands. As they were saying goodbye to their families, sailing off on a slave ship to who knows where, in a time where you, you lost contact with your people over those things, you know what they said? You know what these missionaries said as they joined slaves on a slave ship and said, we are coming to preach to you? They said, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. They said, Jesus is worth it. You're worth it, Jesus. Imagine my youngest right here selling himself to the sex traffickers of Sudan. And him saying to me as he sets out on their ships, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Would my son have wasted his life going to reach those in Sudan? Absolutely not, brothers and sisters. One of my dear friends was a missionary to Sudan. He couldn't mention it while he was there, but he wrote his journals and he called it Narnia. And he would read these newsletters. And he said, they want to kill us. When we have converts, they want to then kill the converts. He said, but their life is worth it to us. We're here to reach Chicago, y'all. When I say, going back to the Facebook page quickly in closing, as I say that we're here to do this, it's here for a reason. All hands on deck. Get a vision for the city. Get a vision for your job. Get a vision for your family. And let's get out there together and change the world. Christians have done it before. We can do it again. Amen. Would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on, somebody give him a good hallelujah. Somebody say, Jesus. Come on, shout his name, Jesus.